0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thrive Like a Parent Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the transition into motherhood and basically the shit no one talks about, to be quite frank. I am going to share with you my own transition into motherhood, which was a shit show. Like I don't really know what else to say. Um, I haven't really talked about my pregnancies or the fact that my kiddos were both Premies, I've talked about it on my page a super long time ago. Haven't talked about it here on my podcast and I know I have said in one of my other ones that's a story for another day on another podcast. So today I am going to share that and tell you what it means to transition into motherhood and why we don't recognize that it's a goddamn transition like it is, yeah. I talk about transitions a lot in terms of the sensory system, and I don't think that people truly understand what that means, okay? A transition means that your body and your brain is moving from one state to the next with different stimuli and different surroundings. So a transition could be a birthday party, yeah, with lots of loud noise at one of those playscapes, or it could be... Moving homes, it could be moving states, switching schools, having a different teacher. Like you're literally moving through transition moment to moment to moment. But stepping into being a parent, and in particular motherhood, is quite a doozy that we don't recognize exists. Yeah, we talk a lot about postpartum depression, and that topic is more openly discussed nowadays, and and really accepted that that's just part of it, you know, that we sometimes feel that depression within our lives. And I don't think that it's very understood why the depression is happening, why the postpartum depression is happening is because of the transitions. And because of the transitions, if you understand your brain and your body from a sensory level, maybe you can support that brain and body from the beginning rather than, just waiting it out and being like, well, this is totally normal that I feel this way. But like That's what they they say. They say that this is totally normal. Yeah. So first and foremost, I think if you are already a parent, you would agree with this. If you are listening in preparation for becoming a parent, no books, no courses, no classes, literally nothing. Nothing can prepare you for parenthood. So I was on bed rest. I contracted from... I would, I probably contracted from 12 weeks. Like, I don't even know. I was starting to feel it. I was like, is that a contraction? Like what the heck is going on? What is that from about 14 ish weeks? Yeah. And literally till the end PS till the end. Yeah. Like they didn't stop. And I didn't get to go to any of the courses. I didn't get to go to any of the classes and the Lamas and like, I didn't go to the hospital to learn how to, how to change a diaper. I didn't have a baby shower for either one of my kids. Like I didn't, I didn't get to do any of that. None of it. Yeah. And I highly doubt that any of those things would have taught me what I needed to know because this is so emotional and physical. The first kiddo you have you feel like that phase is never going to end. You're like, this is this is my life. I'm drowning. This is my life. And like, it's never going to end. Like, what is this? Like, I don't understand it. Like, can't stop crying or this or that. Like, what is this? Right? The second one, you're like, okay, I got it. It finally, eventually, like that phase will go, oh, I remember this phase. Yeah. But the first one, you're like, fuck, like shit. Like, like oh, help. Right? So my transition into motherhood was, like I said, a shit storm. And as I just said, I contracted from about 14 weeks on. When I first got pregnant with Charlie, we went in for our first ultrasound, Jonathan and I, and they were like, oh, you see that avocado? And I was like, yeah, that's my baby. Oh, yeah, that there's your baby. Oh, great. Cool. Oh, Jonathan, we're having a baby. You see that other avocado? If you fucking tell me I'm having twins, I'm going to hurt you. So like, don't do it. Like that, I don't know what that avocado is, but like, that's not another baby. Right. And they were like, you see that avocado? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, that's not supposed to be there. And I was like, excuse me. They're like, nope. Yep. No, that's not supposed to be there, but a doctor can't see you right now. I kind of think you have two uteruses, but a doctor will be in touch. Bye. Uh, what, huh? What, two uterus? What the hell? What is that even a thing? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? So in true Brooke fashion, I went right back to work. I was like, don't Google it. Don't figure this out. Like, we'll talk to the doctor just like they said. It's fine. What we thought was going on with me was that I had legit like two uteruses. There's something called bicornate uterus and this and that. So basically, as you're developing, there's a septum within your uterus that slowly Dissolves and goes away. And when that septum, right, just like the cartilage in your nose, when that septum does not go away, congratulations, you have two uteruses. Now, there are humans who have two of everything. I do not. Okay. And I don't have two uteruses, by the way. I'll continue telling the story, but that's what they thought. Okay. And a lot of times people have where they get pregnant, but the baby attaches to the septum. And so the septum has zero blood supply. It's cartilage. And so the individual will continue having miscarriages. And so then you go in for a checkup to figure out what the heck is going on and why you keep having ultrasounds. They see the septum, then you have a surgery to get it removed, and then voila, no longer an issue. Well, that didn't happen for me. And I'm grateful that I'd never had a miscarriage, but Charlie did not attach to the septum. He attached to the right place. And I basically had a kiddo and a half of a cavity. It almost was like I was having twins, right? Like there was a septum. And the craziest part was that I contracted on one side of my body, the left. And that's probably why it was so weird and I couldn't really feel it. So right around... We kind of knew I was contracting, but like weren't quite sure. So of course I was high risk and they kept watching me. And right around 27 weeks, I go to my sister's baby shower. I fly to St. Louis where Lauren is. And oh, wait, I didn't tell you, Lauren's pregnant too. Lauren's pregnant six weeks ahead of me, okay? We did not plan this, by the way. It just happened. All of a sudden I go to the bathroom and things aren't as they should be. Yeah. And at one point I thought I was even spotting. And we were like, okay, it's fine. Like if it happens again, like just keep watching it. So go to Lauren's baby shower and the spotting continues. There's an OBGYN at my sister's baby shower. She comes in the bathroom with me to talk to me. And I'm like, trying to stay calm to keep this damn baby in, but she's like, Okay, it's okay. And I told her, you know, the whole backstory and this and that. And she was like, But after Lauren's baby shower you're going to go to the hospital and I'm going to check your cervix and we're going to figure this out. And I was like, okay. So I'm like sucking down water because the water always helped stop my contractions. Like water was a cure for me for everything, like more than magnesium, more than it, like anything. And I'm literally handing Lauren the gifts. Oh my gosh, it's been so long since I've talked about this. And I still tear up. Like it was that traumatic. I'm handing Lauren the gifts thinking like, it's okay. Like, just open your gifts. And and then we got to go to the hospital. Like, just open your gifts. And we did. Like, I literally walked into the hospital with heels and a dress on from Lauren's baby shower. And what happened next was the craziest thing. Um, They checked my cervix that night. They were like, okay, Brooke, you are three centimeters dilated. I was like, I don't, what are you talking? I'm 27 weeks pregnant. Like, what are you talking about? They're like, it's okay. We're going to give you fluids. We're going to watch you tonight. We'll check it in the morning. And they checked me again in the morning and I had dilated another half a centimeter and like everything. They were like, let's go. Jonathan flew in. My dad flew in. My mom was already there from the baby shower. They pumped magnesium in me. I was not allowed to move, get up, pee, anything. And they moved a baby like, I don't know, you delivered in this room I was in. So they moved in the baby incubator, let's say, right? Um, Turned it on warm. And like, we didn't know if Jonathan was going to make it. Like, they thought that Charlie was coming at 27 weeks. And for me, right, for me, being in a world of only seeing children with exceptional special needs, right? Like, I wasn't surrounded, I, I wasn't a teacher, right? Like I wasn't surrounded by typical developing children. I worked in the damn NICU for so long. And like now we're telling me I'm I'm about to have a child at 27 weeks. Like I know what can happen at 27 weeks. I know what can happen. 24 weeks is viable. Cerebral palsy and oh, just so much stuff. And somehow some way I did not have Charlie that day. Somehow they stopped it. And because the contractions were so regular, that's the day they literally taught me how to feel my contractions. Like, and the day that I recognized I was only contracting on one side. Um, what happened after that was they kept me there for a week and I told my parents, I'm good. I'll stay here till Charlie's born. Like, If they ever discharge me, I'll. Jonathan is from St. Louis, so I was like, I'll live in Jonathan's mom's basement. Like I'm good. Like we. I'm like I'm not getting on a plane. Like I'm not. There's no way for me to get home without sitting up, walking, checking luggage, security. Like, like I'll I'll have the baby. Like I will. Like we can't do that. So I had wrapped my mind around staying there, and they gave me a tour of the NICU. And I was just hysterical the whole time, like hysterical. And they had these books of graduates from the NICU who, you know, this week and that week, and I was looking and I was like, okay, show me 27 weeks. Like, what am I in for? What am I in for? Like, what can I expect? And it was the most horrific thing. Like it was awful, like awful. So fast forward, I stayed there for a week and for all intents and purposes, I was, I was stable. They try not to check you that often because when you get checked, it irritates things down there and you could dilate even more. So they decided to put me on a floor called antepartum. Who knows? Like, I didn't even know that existed. These are for women who like me are in these binds where like, you can't really move. You got to sit still. You got to do this. You got to, but like, it's not really safe for you to go home, but like we could try to stop it, but it's, it's the craziest thing. And they decided to check me and do like a test for like an hour or two. And if I didn't have a contraction for that full hour, I could go home. Now we decided to get some serious major help. And I told my parents, I'm not going, like, I'm not, like, I'm staying here. And they were like, we're going to decide what's best and right for you. My family felt that it was best for me to be home in New Orleans so that when Charlie did come, Jonathan was at home. He could work. We were all home. Everyone could support me. And so it goes. We got me home um, through a lot of support and help. And I went from hospital wheelchair to a car. Like, I, basically stepped into the car and from the car to the stairs of the plane and from the stairs of the plane to the seat. And then from the seat back down the stairs into a car directly back to New Orleans hospital. And I told my family, I need to keep this baby in. So you guys go orchestrate and figure out how you're doing all this. You just, like you direct me, you tell me what's going on. I don't want to know anything. Like it's too much stress. So they did it all outside of my room. I stayed in the hospital in New Orleans for, I want to say two and a half weeks. And finally was able to go home. I was on bed rest for another two and a half weeks. And then the contraction started coming again and I could feel them coming, but... I could always stop them, no joke, with water. And again, I was on bed rest, right? Like, that's it. The craziest thing happened. I knew that it was getting towards the end, but we clearly didn't know when. And remember, my sister is six weeks ahead of me. So my parents are in St. Louis flying back to greet their brand new granddaughter, Mia. And my sister had a C-section. Oh, wait, I forgot to mention my sister at the end had excess fluid, so she was on bed rest as well. I totally forgot this. So my mom was in St. Louis for like a week or two before Lauren had the baby. And so Jonathan's at work, my dad's at home taking care of me. My grandparents are like coming to like take care of me too at the house. My mom is like, we're all divide and conquer at this point. So long story short, Lauren had Mia on Tuesday. And we knew it was, like, we knew it was coming. Like, I was back and forth to the hospital. They were checking me. They were like, yes, you're contracting, but no, you haven't dilated anymore. I'm sorry. There's nothing more we can do. You're past 32 weeks. So I had Charlie on a Thursday. Mia was born on a Tuesday. My mom doesn't drink, but she sent me a picture of a mini vodka bottle on the plane that she was flying back from St. Louis to then come greet. Charlie. The night that Charlie was born was probably the scariest night of my life. I had made it to 33 weeks. Charlie was born at 33 weeks on the dot. And you have to remember I was on bed rest for six weeks. So it was like a marathon at the end of, I don't know, a bunch of restful spa weeks. Yeah. Like my whole body was atrophied from laying in bed for weeks and Charlie did not wanna come out. So I pushed for three and a half hours and I was almost passing out, if not passing out in between contractions, begging for a C-section. Charlie had to come out with forceps. He had contusions in his eye and they called him Chuck. They were like Chuck got in a bar fight when he was born. And then he graduated to Sir Charles before he left the hospital. I can't tell you how hard it was knowing that I was bringing a child into this world with an underdeveloped nervous system. Like that fear for me was everything. I was so diligent about talking to the nurses about keeping the dark room and turning down the dinging noise of the monitors and this and that. And it was a lot for me. It was so much. And I had a surgery in between to get rid of the septum. I did not have two uteruses. There was some communication between one uterus and the other or one side of the uterus and the other, but I did have a surgery in between. I waited about a year and then I, that was, that was so painful, that surgery. And then when I got pregnant with Eli, um, they did a surclage, which means they stitch up your uterus. So my legs were in stirrups hanging from the ceiling, completely bare. And they're stitching, literally stitching up my hoo-ha's, my uterus, like they're stitching me up to keep the actual baby in while there's a living human baby inside of me. Like I just laid there and cried the whole time. I can't believe I'm not crying right now. Like that was so traumatic. And once again despite the surgery and despite the suriclage, I still contracted. So I think we now know that I just have an incompetent cervix and I can't keep babies in. Eli made it to about 33 and 40. So I call him a 34 weaker. but I wasn't on bed rest. I didn't have the whole drastic story, but that was a doozy. Both of my boys were in the NICU for three weeks and Talk about life changing, right? Like, even if you don't have this story, even if you didn't have a Nikki baby, we don't recognize that we just went to battle. Like, we held in a human for nine months. In my case, not nine months, but from hopefully majority of you, nine months. And we all have a pregnancy story. We all have a delivery story. If you're the one who loved your pregnancy and had an easy push and like, boop. Like, ugh, love you, but because that's not really all of our stories. And what we don't recognize, going back to that transition into motherhood, now that you've heard my own transition, we don't recognize that we jump right into action. It's not like, okay, honey, you take care of the baby, and like I'm going to a spa retreat to, you know, rejuvenate my hoo ha and relax my body because I just went through a. Damn marathon. Like we don't get that. Yeah. All of a sudden your boobs are engorged and you're lactating everywhere or lack thereof. And then you're crying hysterically because of that. And the, the baby's crying and you don't know how to change a diaper. And oh my God, their head and like it's flopping all over the place. And like we jump right into action without a thought, without a minuscule thought to what the hell our life looked like yesterday. That first year is such a doozy because not only are you trying to figure out how this little human functions, but you're not even taking a moment to recognize that you have just completely lost your former life and it is okay to feel a sense of grief and mourning of that life. We literally don't even stop to think about it. Like we don't stop to say, oh, wow, like my life looked different. Like, My life looked a lot different and that's okay to realize and be able to say, hmm, how does it feel? Like, how does this feel? We jump into such action with our children that we don't stop to collect the data and say, wow, like my life just flipped upside down. I need a moment. And we don't do that because we're supposed to be, and we are, it's not just we're supposed to be, but we are elated. You have this cute little human, right? Kind of pain in the ass sometimes, but like you're supposed to be ecstatic over the moon. It's what you've always wanted in life and you finally have it. And it's the perfect kumbaya. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage. Now that's not everyone's journey, but if that is yours, like that's what it's quote supposed to be. And so if it's anything but that, you feel shame, you feel guilt, you feel wrong, you push it away. Yeah. But like, we immediately jump right into action because, you know, I was talking to a client this morning and she was saying, I'm a jack of all trades, but a master at none. And she said, I'm really good at shape shifting. And I told her, I said, I feel that we as women are very, very good at that. We are so incredibly strong and brave and resilient and whatever comes our way, we're just like, okay, all right, sure. Okay. Like, let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. Let, let's do that. Like that portion of our brain is strong as a motherfucker. Like it just is. Yeah. Like that drive, that intuition, that ability to just jump into action. Like we got that. Like we're, we're, we're good. Like we can do this. Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean you're not struggling deep down, but like we figure it out. We figure it out. And so when my client said this, I was like, yep, it's more than okay to feel that way because we are, but that's a positive strength, right? That we can jump in and 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 do what we need to do. Now, if we're showing up not as ourselves, that's a whole different story. We have to take for a moment the time to recognize, A, what our body's just been through. I don't know about you, but when I was walking to the NICU every day for the first while after I was discharged from the hospital, I would hold my little cooler full of breast pump milk that I pumped all night long while Charlie was still, and Eli was still at the NICU. I looked like I was sitting on a horse while walking. Like it wasn't, it wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. And I'm not kidding you, a nurse one day was like, wow, look at you. You're walking a little faster today. I was like, oh shit. She noticed like it's that bad. Like, oh my God but it was like, it, it, I mean, I was ripped inside out with Charlie, Eli, no big deal. Like whoop, right out. But that wasn't the case for my first one. But we don't recognize because we love these little humans so much and we wanted them so bad. We have nine months to prepare, but like, you don't have nine months to mourn the loss of your old former self, your old former life. And this does not take away from how much you love being a parent, how much you love that little human. But your brain and your body has been patterned and so used to living at another space and another time and another disposition. And to not honor that and to not be aware of it or take care of it, that's what gets us into the grind. And so many of my parents in Thrive Like a Mother, especially when we stepped into the week of fight or flight, they literally are like, oh my gosh. I cannot believe this. I think I've been living in fight or flight. Either they say their whole life or they say they don't remember when they haven't been living like that. Or they say they have been living like that since they had children. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that I've been living like this. Oh my God. That's why there's brain fog. That's why there's lack of heart and hardships of making decisions. That's why like it's all makes sense. Oh my gosh, it's this light bulb moment because we don't stop, we just keep going, right? So if you can take some time to recognize and if you're a new parent, I hope you're a new parent listening to this and still have the ability or maybe you're gonna have more, right? Or send this to someone who is pregnant or send this to someone who maybe needs to hear the truth, right? to know what's what's expected or what's about to happen, yeah? If I could do it over again, I would do these following things, okay? Number one is take breaks, not do everything on my own. Yeah, I had help, but not enough. And I didn't request it enough. I felt that since Jonathan was working, I needed to do everything at home and I never requested the breaks that I needed. And I thought I could do it the best. I knew how to do it the only way, like I did all that. I hands down would request and take breaks. I would learn how to say no to not doing certain things that I just sucked it up and did it. I would talk more. I would share more. I would communicate more, right? About how I was feeling and what was going on within me. I completely self neglected. Like I completely ignored myself, probably for years until I did this own work on myself. Like I neglected myself for years. I had such guilt that I couldn't keep Charlie in, that I was like, I have to do this right. Like I have to. And somehow I was a cow. Like I overproduced milk. No joke. Like I would pump and this is crazy, but I would pump and I'd have like 32 ounces every time I pumped. I know that's crazy, right? When I stopped pumping at 10 months, I had 9,000 ounces frozen. 9,000 ounces. If you DM me and want to see the picture, I'll put it in my stories of the deep freezer. I had two of them. It was crazy. There was so much for me that I was like, nope, I have to do this because that went wrong. Nope, I have to do this because he had an underdeveloped nervous system or nope, I have to do that or have to do that. Yeah, I would learn how to validate my feelings and I would remind myself that I'm not alone and it's okay to show that I'm struggling. I, I have no idea if I had postpartum depression. Like I have absolutely no idea because I just kept going. Like I, I look I literally don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like I just kept forging ahead. Like it was one thing after another. And let me remind you, I was still supporting Jonathan very much through that time. There were times where he was still in bed. Yeah. And like he couldn't do much. So I was supporting Charlie and Jonathan And then came Eli, right? So then I was supporting three men. The other biggest thing I would say, and if you have not done this, and you're like, damn, I wish I had done that too. It's never too late to do this. I would literally sit down with a pen and paper and write out the kind of mom I want to be and trust it and stick with it. I think that if I had... Really had full-blown understanding of how this was going to take over my life. Truly understood what it means to be a parent before, or someone helped me. Like I, I would tell my mom, I'm like, why didn't you tell, like, who, like no one told me it was going to be like that. Like, why do why don't people talk about this, right? I would have sat down and said, what do I want my life to look like while being a mom? What do I want my life to look like? And I did that not that long ago. I shifted and changed and transformed everything for myself because I wasn't happy with the way that it was going. I thought I needed to neglect myself. I thought I needed to put everyone above myself. I thought being a mom meant only caring for others and forget yourself. Like that's what I thought. And I was so, so miserable. Like I, like I said, I woke up every morning being like, is this it? Like, is this it? And you can have that too. Like, You can sit down and say, what type of mom and life do I want? What do I want this to look like? You can write down like what you and your partner do, right? Like what are the roles and responsibilities? Do you want help? Do you want a nanny? Do you want, I don't know, some people get night nurses. Like what do you want this to look like for you? Like, do you want to work outside of the home? Do you want your kiddo to go to daycare? Do you want to have Saturday nights off or date night? Like, What do you want this to look like? Do you want one day a week where you get to be you rather than a mom, right? Like, what do you want this to look like? And I know that you may be like, sure, easier said than done. It's not that hard when you're that miserable. Like, it's not that hard to be like, I can't do this anymore. I need a break. What's the alternative? And I'm not saying every single one of you listening to this are absolutely miserable, but you get to be a human outside of parenthood. And you get to figure out what that means for you. For me, it means I get to be the badass, sexy doctor, funny, goofy, dancy nutso, right? That also knows a lot about the nervous system and loves working and having her own time, yeah? Like I've gotten to decide what my life needs to look like for me to be happy. That might look different for you. But if you're not feeling, I don't think you need to be feeling happy all the time, every single day. Like, nope. But if you're miserable on a consistent basis, that means something needs to change, right? The alternative is staying there. If you don't know how to do that on your own, or if you can't do that on your own, or you don't even know where to start, well, that's when you fill out the application and join Thrive. Yeah? Like, or work with me or my team. Yeah? but you get to have a life too. You get to decide what this transition for you looks like. You get to decide what you want your life to be like. It doesn't have to start when you're an empty nester. It doesn't. And it's okay. Like it's okay to say I matter too. I believe that my, like I've said this before, like my mom was like baller. Like my mom was like the best mom, like ever. Like she went above and beyond, put my sister and I like, I mean, that was her sole purpose. Like that was it. Yeah. And I think a lot of our parents did in that generation or you and me, like our generation, our parents, that's how they functioned. And I think what's ending up happening is because our parents did everything and anything for us and above and beyond over the moon, it's been hard for us to step into doing, right? Like Taking on some roles and responsibilities that are, frankly, our parents used to do for us. And I believe that by me setting boundaries with my own boys and creating the life that I want has allowed them to step up as individuals. And my children know that when they're done with their plates, like they put them in the dishwasher, they know that when they take their jackets off, It's going to go where it started. They know that when they take their shoes off, they need to put them X, Y, Z. And if you start those concepts earlier, rather than us just running and doing and going and doing everything for our kids, it's hard to teach them these skills, but you're going to get those little pieces and moments back for yourself. But again, you have to decide what this parenthood looks like for you. Yeah. And it is okay. Like, it's okay to make that decision for yourself. It's okay to decide how you want this to go. And as always, like I said, like if you need support in that area, like reach out. And so until next time, best of luck, XOXO, Dr. B. Hey friends, welcome to the Thrive Like a Parent podcast. You know, those parents who look like they've got it all together. Yep that's not me. I'm Dr. Brooke Weinstein, mom, widow, and neuroscience expert on all things sensory and emotional regulation. Yep, that's right. I'm here to get down and dirty on the truth behind parenting, education, burnout, neuroscience, widowhood, and the shit show we call life. So come join me for conversations with thought leaders, doctors, and women just like you who aren't afraid to speak the truth and help you find that silver lining between the to do lists, shit shows, and chaos of parenthood? If you are craving the answers to finally find that sweet spot between chaos and calm, pull up a seat and listen in as I take you from burnt out and surviving to finally thriving.